Hi, and thanks for joining us on the Crossroads Lismore Podcast. We're excited that you're with us on this episode and pray that it will challenge you, change you, and transform your life because that's what God does. If you want more information, you can reach us at www.crossroadslismore.com. Welcome, John O's. He's going to come up and share the word of God this morning. Morning, everyone. Morning. I've got my stopwatch on today. I think my last preach on Spotify was 45 minutes. I thought that's too long even for me. <laughs> so I'm going to try and stick to a better timeline today. All right. So this morning... The preach, I've given it the title, The Waiting Game. Sounds fun, hey? The Waiting Game. It like, sounds like a game show. <laughs> Might not be that fun. <laughs> so I want to touch on a few things. Does God keep his word? What do we do when we're waiting on God's promises? And how do we show faithfulness? So it's going to be a little bit of a different style of preach for me today. I usually show videos and try and tell stories and bad jokes, but we're actually going to read a lot of scripture today. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, that'd be really good. I actually had to bring Zoe's Bible because mine doesn't have the Old Testament. And you know that, um, have you guys heard that saying, dirty Bible, clean Christian? See, this, this shows how clean Zoe is, right? It's falling apart. Not my Bible. All right. So we're going to look at JC this morning, not Jesus Christ, Joshua and Caleb. Yeah, I'm sure most of us have heard this story before, right? All right. Is anyone into spies, like James Bond movies and stuff like that? Yeah. I never got into James Bond, but this is going to show my age, right? When I was growing up, one, group, one friend in our, group, our friend circle had a like a gaming console, right? Wasn't like, we all didn't have one. The old Nintendo 64, did anyone have one of those? <laughs> Best console ever, if you ask me. And they had this James Bond game, GoldenEye. And you could shoot someone and they'd just die on one shot. And it was great, played it for hours. Played it for hours. And you'd work out where people, you'd die and then you'd come back somewhere in the game and you'd know where people came back and you'd just stand there and wait for them and as soon as they respawn, you'd just shoot them again. Great way to make friends. All right. In terms of promises, who's ever had a, made a promise or had one made to them? Surely that's got to be everyone, right? You can put your hands up if you like. So, pinky promises, does anyone do those? With the kids? No, maybe when the kids are a bit younger. So we often make promises, right? Some of them are pretty, you know, might just be we're going to the park this afternoon. Some of them are a bit more serious, like wedding vows and our commitment of faith to God. And it's interesting, you know, in the Bible it says, let our yes be yes and our no be no. But we do make promises a lot. But on the flip side, who's ever had a promise from God? Anyone? I, I googled this, so I can't verify it exactly. But apparently there's 7,487 promises in the Bible from God to us. That's pretty cool, eh? But who's ever had a personal promise from God? That means something that you've necessarily read in here, but something that God's spoken to you directly. That's pretty special. All right, who likes waiting? Anyone? Is anyone going to lie and say yes? Oh, Annette said yes. 
<laughs> There's wisdom. I had to go to Brisbane on Thursday with John T. And it took us two and a half hours to get home from, well, on the way back from Brisbane to the Gold Coast. That was two and a half hours. I do not like waiting. Jonty saw a side of me that, um, not my best side, let's put it that way. <laughs> All right. All right, so I'm sure we, most of us know the story about Joshua and Caleb, right? We're going to read it, but I'm just going to briefly summarize it. So Israel's coming towards the promised land. Moses wants to send out a spy from each tribe, right? to spy out the land and bring back some fruit and hopefully give a good report. So they pick 12 guys, Joshua and Caleb are two, and they're the only ones who come back and give a, a good report, a positive report, saying we can do this, God's going to give us this land. God's already told them he's going to give it to them, right? So it's not like they really needed to spy out the land, it's just sort of like double-checking, I guess. But the other 10 come back and they give a negative report. They basically, they don't trust in God's promise and they say we can't do this, we should, you know... God's led us all this way for nothing and we're going to be wiped out. But there's a bit more to the story. So you got to bear with me, okay? We're going to do a bit of history today and we're going to do a bit of reading. So my dad was a history teacher and an English teacher. It must be coming out. All right, so before we read about Joshua and Caleb, a bit of background, right, the build-up. So does everyone know the story of Joseph? You know, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery he ends up as a leader in Israel, basically the you know, top leader in Israel after Pharaoh. And from there, this leads all the way through to Joshua and Caleb, right? So through Joseph, God saves what is going to become Israel, which at that time is about 70 people in Joseph's family, which they end up becoming the nation of Israel. Saves them from a famine. And a little bit of time passes, right? And those same people start to multiply, but they're put into slavery in Egypt. We all know this story. Moses is born. You know, Moses is saved in the, in the river in the reeds and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And then when he's a little bit older, he kills an Egyptian man and flees out into the desert. And then after some time, God speaks to him in the burning bush. This is all happening in Genesis, right? There's a lot in Genesis. Good stories. So Moses comes back and, you know, he says to Pharaoh, let my people go over and over and all the plagues come on Egypt. And eventually Israel released from Egypt and God parts the Red Sea and they pass over onto the dry land. The Egyptians are wiped out and then they're in the desert. And God provides them with manna to eat. He leads them with a, a cloud and a pillar of fire as to where they should go. And it's interesting, I, you often hear in church people say, oh, you know, the I think the, the walk from Egypt to where they ended up is like, you know, a few days if you really want to do it. We'll say, oh, you know, they wasted their time and were in the, in the desert for 40 years. But they're actually in the desert for a couple of years and it was what God had for them because they were following. God was leading them and sometimes they'd be in one place for a day. Sometimes they'd be in one place for weeks. But then they stuffed up and it became 40 years, right? So this leads to the Ten Commandments, the setting up of the tabernacle, and that's where we start to hear about Joshua. So Joshua is Moses' aide. And it actually says that Moses would go into the tabernacle and meet with God face to face, and then he'd go back to camp, and Joshua would linger in the presence of God. How cool is that? Okay, so that takes us through to the end of Exodus. Then we get into Leviticus, and it's basically a whole bunch of rules and regulations for how we should live. And then we jump into Numbers, and there's more rules and regulations for how we should live, and they're repeated again and again. 
And then by the time we get to Numbers 13, right, this is where we end up in the story. So we're going to read Numbers 13 and about half of 14. Okay. So the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Isaac, Egal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshua, son of Nun, or Joshua, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Rapu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. From the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Emil, son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Setha, son of Michael. From the tribe of Nathali, Nabi, son of Vopshi. From the tribe of Gad, Geul, son of Maki. Right? So they're naming all these people. Imagine being in the Bible and you're named as one of the people who gave a bad report. How good is that? You're famous for giving a bad report. So these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses, Moses gave Joshua, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Akaman, Shisha and Talmai, these names are hard to explain or pronounce, I mean, the descendants of Anak lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkel. Because of the cluster of grapes, the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they've been exploring 40 days. Stay with me, okay? They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went to the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it, and the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. 
So then in chapter 14, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So keep in mind all that God's done in the meantime, right? He's provided for them this whole time, even to the point of their clothes and shoes not wearing out. But they want to go back to Egypt. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. It's escalated quickly, hasn't it? Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, and I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen, have been seen face to face that your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs turned back I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who has disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness your bodies will fall. 
every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Wow. Still with me? I know it's a lot to read in one go. So, that's the story, right? And after this, so there's a promise made to Joshua and Caleb there, right? That they're the only people 20 years and older that are going to enter the promised land. So God's given this land to the nation, but because of the way that they keep acting, he's basically saying there's two people that will see it. And everyone else who's going to see it is either under 20 or hasn't been born yet. Basically, everyone who's alive at that point in time is going to die in the desert, and it will be their children that enter the promised land. That's pretty full on, right? So it goes on, and they, they try and come back and say, we're sorry, and we'll go and fight, and it doesn't work out too good. What I want to get to this morning, though, is that promise that was made to Joshua and Caleb about inheriting the land doesn't happen then. There's a bit that happens in between before that happens. A bit of waiting, right? So after this, some of the sort of high story, highlight stories that you guys will know, Moses gets water from the rock. We meet Balaam and his donkey. There's a band growing up when I was a teenager called Balaam's Ass, which was pretty clever, I thought, and inspired by that story. And we go into a whole bunch of repeating the rules. Israelite goes into war again and again. Then we go into Deuteronomy. And then in Deuteronomy 31, if you want to turn there. So verse 1 to 8. So remember, Joshua is one of the two men who gave a good report. So from verse 1 it says, Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So a lot of times passed, right? But now Joshua has succeeded Moses. He's the new leader of Israel, and Moses dies before they cross the Jordan. So you know, God keeps doing amazing things with them, right? And they keep, it's the same pattern, right? They sin, they repent, God does something amazing, they're cool with it for a little bit, then they fall back into sin, they think they can do it differently or better. So from there, Joshua, you know, God piles up the waters of the, of the Jordan River, similar to the Red Sea, and they cross over on dry land with the ark. They go to Jericho, and we all know the story of how they march around the city, and then eventually all the walls fall, and they take the city of Jericho. And then from there, it's just war, basically. Israel's at war with the people who live in Canaan. 
until they get the land and they divide the land, right, between the tribes. So if we jump a little bit further ahead to Joshua 14. You guys with me? It's very quiet. Loving it. That's great. So in Joshua 14, we finally see Caleb's promise fulfilled. 45 years later. It's been 45 years since he went and did the spying and was told that he would go to the promised land. In verse 6 of... um, Oh, I'm in the wrong book. It's not going to make much sense. Joshua 14. Did I say that? Cool. I was in Judges. I was hoping I didn't say that. Okay, so from verse 6, it says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, so this is the same Caleb, right, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So that was said about Caleb before, right? He's known for following the Lord wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised... He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. It's pretty cool, eh? Long wait, 45 years. But he served God wholeheartedly. And then if we jump over to Joshua 19. Verse 49. So this is... They've gone in, they've divided up the land of Canaan amongst the tribes of Israel. And there's one person left that hasn't got their inheritance, Joshua. So from verse 49, when they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them, as the Lord had commanded. They gave him the town he asked for, Timnath Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, and he built up the town and settled there. How good would that be? You get the town that you want. It's not a bad reward, hey? These are the territories that Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel signed by Lot at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. Okay. It's a long build up to make a point, I know, right? We all still awake? Okay. God's promises. So I'm not going to try and convince you today that God keeps his promises, right? That's a whole other message that I've already probably don't have time for, (laughs) 23 minutes in. We know that God keeps his promises, right? We know that, right? We know it up here at least. So I'm not going to try and prove that to you today. I guess the problem is, do we always believe it, right? All of us. I'm guilty of that as well. 
I think the first preach that I actually ever did here was one called It's Okay to Doubt. And from that, I shared a lot of my own experience about doubting the promises of God, doubting that he would do what he says he does. And that's true for all of us. Um, we had some time with our home group a few weeks ago. We were worshipping and we were singing that song, Waymaker. And it just declares all these things of God, you know, that he's a waymaker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And we're singing this song. And as we're singing, I'm realising how little of the time I truly believe that wholeheartedly, right? And it brought me to a place of repentance, you know, like wanting to believe. You know, it's a bit like there's that verse in Mark 9, 24, where the guy wants his... Uh, daughter healed and he says I believe but help me in my unbelief and we're so much like that hey we know that God always keeps his word we know that we're going to doubt it from time to time okay so let's just accept that I'm not going to try and convince you to believe God's promises all the time I don't think that's realistic right but we need to come back to those promises there's a song that I really love at the moment um, it's called Promises by Maverick City does anyone know this song okay That's your homework. Go home and listen to this song, right? If you need encouragement about believing that God will do what he says, it's a really good song. And one of the lines in the song says, let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. That's pretty profound, isn't it? The problem isn't that God speaks the word or that God keeps his promise. The problem is us believing that he'll do it, right? The problem is not with him. The problem is with us. And the other problem is the waiting, right? God has a funny sense of time. Like, I'm coming back soon. (laughs) I don't think of soon the way God thinks of soon. And I don't like waiting. But a lot of the time we see throughout his word, right, God makes promises to people. And it takes a long time for those promises to be fulfilled. And sometimes they're not even fulfilled for the person they're given to. Therefore, they're the next generation or the next generation. God always keeps his word. It's not as quick as we would like sometimes, and it's not in the way that we think. Okay. So the problem isn't that we should wait. The problem is how should we wait. Okay. Waiting isn't just sitting around waiting. There's a bit more to waiting than that. Right? So to put it a different way, why would we wait? Is it because it's a blessing to receive a promise or to have it fulfilled? It's important. So the question is, how should we wait? What do we do in the waiting? Because, you know, when God gives us a promise and we enter this time of waiting, life goes on, doesn't it? Has anyone here been given a promise by God that they're still waiting to see fulfilled? I know I have. And has life just stopped in the meantime? Life goes on, doesn't it? Caleb waited 45 years. That blows my mind. You know, it's so easy to read that, right, and be like, he's a good guy. But 45 years is a long time to wait, right? And especially when you see what they're up against. It's not like the comforts of modern life, right? 45 years. I'm not even 45 years old yet, and that's how long he waited for. But he was faithful, right? I'm trying to sound young. <laughs> it wasn't deliberately trying to sound young. It probably sounded like that. Yeah. He was faithful though, and every time he's mentioned in the Bible, the way he is described is that he served the Lord wholeheartedly. He was faithful. So what does it look like to be faithful, right? So in the natural, we can be faithful in all sorts of things, right? In our jobs, what does being faithful look like in our work, you know? Turning up on time, actually working, 
not just expecting to be paid because you're a bum on a seat or depending on the work that you do. We can be faithful in all sorts of things, whatever we do. You know, I've been playing soccer this year and I won't talk about how the team's going since I last preached. It's not so good. But, you know, you can be faithful in those little things, you know, going to training, being on time, you know, playing in the position that you're put in, even if it's not where you want to play, those kinds of things. And then we can be faithful in more important things, right? Like marriage, parenting, friendships, relationships. Caleb served the Lord wholeheartedly, and that's how he was faithful. So that's what we do in the waiting. Whatever that looks like for you, when you're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, serve the Lord wholeheartedly. I, um, I think I shared this last time I preached, but I still don't know where this is going, right? So this will probably, you're going to hear this a few more times, I think. But for the last however many months, every morning I wake up and I pray the same two prayers. And for me, that helps me to be faithful. And it tel- helps me to at least aim to serve God wholeheartedly. I wouldn't say I serve God hard- wholeheartedly. I'd say I want to, and I try to. But these two prayers that I just can't keep, I can't not think about them. I wake up every morning and it's the same two prayers. Is that his mercies are new every day and that he'll give me the strength that I need for today. And that's it. So I can serve him faithfully today. Just today. Worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And then before you know it, we're 45 years down the track. (laughs) All right. So I know that's a little bit different this morning. We read a lot of scripture and... We were praying in the car this morning, right? And it's kind of this funny thing when you preach, that when you're preaching, well, for me anyway, I'm new to this, right? I can put a lot of expectation on myself that a preach has to be, everyone has to leave this place completely changed and it's the greatest thing they've ever heard and they're madly in love with God and that's nice, right? It doesn't quite have to be that. But at the same point in time, we don't want to just do church, right? I don't want to get up here and talk just for the sake of showing you guys that I can get up here and talk, right? That we trust that as we speak, the Holy Spirit is ministering to people. And often it's the person speaking more than the people listening, but that's how it goes. So what I want to do this morning, it's quite a simple message, right? You know, being faithful in the waiting. That's it. That God will keep his word. Most of my preachers being read from here, not really my words. But what I like to do now is just ask you guys to do a little self-reflection thing with me, right, to wrap up. So I can get up here and speak, but I can't do the things that God can do. God can, there's things that only God can do. And I'm going to trust this morning that he's going to do those things, okay? So I'm going to ask you guys four questions this morning. I'm not going to do the usual wrap it up with a prayer or get Tim back up to play some nice music for us. I'm going to ask you guys four questions And what I want you to do is just take a moment to just connect with God, whether that's closing your eyes, bowing your head, whatever that looks like for you, okay? Just maybe do that now, okay? Just put yourself in a place where you're connected to God and you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask these questions. And then what I want you to do is to ask God these questions for yourself. And I'm not going to drag it out for too long but we're going to give a little bit of time so that you can actually hear an answer, hopefully. Okay? So the first question, what promises has God made to you? And if he hasn't made any, ask him to. If he has, 
What are they? Remember those promises. Okay, second question. Do you believe that he will keep his word? Third question, have you been faithful? Have you served the Lord wholeheartedly? And lastly, how can you follow the Lord wholeheartedly from this moment on?
All right, that's me done. Thanks, guys. I know it uh, can be a bit awkward doing that kind of stuff, but I think sometimes for God to move, we have to embrace the awkwardness of what it looks like when his Holy Spirit's moving. So I'll hand over. That was really good.